Thank you for joining us today on the Annex Podcast, hosted and presented by the Building Christian Fellowship. At the building, we build our faith, hope, and love in Jesus by having a real, relevant relationship with Him. And what better way for us to get closer to God than to learn more about Him through His Word? We pray you enjoy this message. Good evening, good evening. Welcome everyone. Thank you guys for tuning in. Thank you for those of you guys that have shown up here at the building. We thank you for uh, showing up here on Tuesday night. It is Rightly Dividing the Word Bible Study. I am your host for the evening, Pastor Donald R. Johnson III. Um, It's a pleasure and and a privilege to be here with you guys tonight. Thank you guys for tuning in. Um, I don't know if you're tuned in over Facebook or YouTube, but we're glad that you're here with us tonight. Um, Before we get into tonight's study, let's go ahead and open up with a word of prayer. Amen? Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for this opportunity, Lord, that you have granted us with, that we are able to dig a little bit deeper into your word. We thank you for giving us ears to hear, giving us eyes to see, giving us a mind to understand, and giving us a heart to believe. Father, we ask that as your word comes forth tonight, that it will come forth with simplicity, Lord, that it would pierce our hearts, that it would find its home in the soil of our hearts, that it would uh, spring forth much fruit that would be pleasing to you. Lord, we ask that you would just have your way in us and through us tonight, that you would reveal yourself to us in a mighty way this evening. Lord, as we continue on through this study, that you would just uh, begin to help us to to grasp, uh, uh, gain a, a greater grasp on your word, on your will, and your purpose for our lives, Lord. We thank you for what you're doing in us and through us during this time. And Lord, we just ask that you would let uh, uh, let your people have an ear to hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to your church. Lord, we thank you for this. We agree for this. And we ask this in the mighty, matchless, magnificent name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 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 So once again, thank you guys for tuning in tonight. We are continuing on our journey through John. We are in the book of John, and uh, last week, we switched it up a little bit, had Pastor J.R. come and share, and he shared uh, uh, John chapter 10, where we learned about Jesus being the good shepherd, right? Amen? I don't know if you guys remember that, but he talked a little bit about how uh, nobody likes to be a sheep, but in all actuality, that's what us as believers, we are called to be that. Why? Because Jesus is the good shepherd. And we are, we are of his flock and of his pasture, and we hear his voice. His sheep hear his voice, and the voice of a stranger, they will not follow. So I'm actually really excited for you guys tonight that you guys have tuned in and that you've joined tonight because as we're continuing on, we're going to pick up where we left off at John chapter 11. This is where, we, where we're going to pick up tonight. And I just want to kind of start with a, a kind of a, a precursor to this chapter by kind of delving in kind of like midway into the chapter and I'm gonna do it old school style where we're gonna we're gonna do John chapter 11 verse 4b I want this to stick with you John chapter 11 verse 4b in the NLT reads it says no it happened for the glory of God so that the son of God will receive glory from this amen I know you might be kind of wondering that's kind of an odd way to start it well I, I need you guys to grasp and understand that Jesus, if you, haven't, if you haven't caught this yet as we've been journeying through the book of John, that Jesus 
only did things to glorify the Father. And as his ministry is continuing on, as his ministry is continuing on, the more that he gives the Father glory, now we're starting to see that the Father is starting to reveal the glory upon the Son. And so we just read in, in verse 4b, it says, No, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. So what is he talking about? Let's delve in. Chapter 11, starting with verse 1. It says, A man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was sick. So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. Very sick. Verse 4. But when Jesus heard about, heard about it, he said, Lazarus's sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. Verse 5, so although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. Finally, he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. Now, I'm not sure if you guys have been following along, but there's been a great turmoil and a beef, a lot of uh, conflict that's been building over uh, the course of Jesus's ministry with the Jewish rulers and leaders of the time. And so they're, they were upset because not so much about that Jesus was doing the right thing, but they were, they were more concerned with having things done in the right way. And here it is. What, what do I mean by that? I mean that the, the religious leaders were, were uh, more concerned with the protocols and the procedures of things. They had the procedures down, and here it is that, that one of the main problems that they have with Jesus is that Jesus is doing all this miraculous stuff on the Sabbath day. They were upset because they're like, no, Jesus, you can't do that on the Sabbath, let alone the fact, let, like, leave alone the fact that he's opening blind eyes, that he's healing people who were deathly ill, raising people from the dead. And here it is, they're upset with the fact that He's done this on the Sabbath, that he's not doing things the right way. They overlook the fact that he's doing the right thing. Amen. You following? And so here it is. We left off in the last chapter with, with, with Pastor Jr. that the, the, the Jewish leaders were looking for a reason to stone him. They, they were attempting to stone him, but his time hadn't come yet. And we're seeing that Jesus is picking up this pattern of ministering publicly, doing great things, and then it's upsetting the, the leaders, and the leaders are looking for a reason to try and stone him, but his time hadn't come, and so Jesus withdraws. And so we find him off somewhere. We don't really know where the place is that he's with his disciples, but he's off somewhere quite a ways away from where he was in Judea. And a messenger comes to deliver a message from his dear friends, that his dear friend is very sick. And Jesus gets the message of, of how ill and how sick his friend is. And he says that this, is, this sickness does not 
end in death, but it is for the glory of God so that the Son of God could be glorified. And it says that Jesus, having loved these individuals, that he stayed where he was for two days further. You know, many of us, we, we, we're, not, we're not so trusting in our relationship with the Father and the leading of the Spirit that we would, we would, as soon as we got the urgent news, we would jump up from where it is that we're at to go and rush to the aid and try and do all that we can. Not being confident in the fact that maybe that this thing that has come about is actually a, a, a situation that God can get the glory out of it. And then it might be for the individual's good. And here it is, it seems like Jesus, who is the good shepherd that we just read about, who, who cares for his flock, who cares for those that he loves, who cares about those who know his voice, seems to nonchalantly just hang back for two days. And then after two days, it's like, all right, y'all, let's go to Judea. And so in verse 7, he says, let us, go to, let, us, let us go back to Judea. It says that the disciples objected. Rabbi, they said, only a few days ago, the people in Judea were trying to stone you. Are you going there again? Jesus replied, there are 12 hours of daylight every day. During the day, people can walk safely. They can see because they have the light of this world. But at night, there is danger of stumbling because they have no light. What a lot of us fail to see is that his delay did not show a disinterest but divine purpose. His delay did not show a disinterest but divine purpose. And so we see Jesus make this statement about walking in the light and walking in the night. It says that walking in the night pictures behaving without divine illumination. I don't know if you guys were here a couple of Sundays ago, but I talked about the difference between being enlightened and being illuminated, right? Being enlightened is just kind of like, yeah, the light bulb comes on, but being illuminated means that I actually possess the light and I'm able to, to have insight and understanding of the circumstance that I'm in and who's in control of everything. Are you following so walking in the night pictures behaving without divine illumination or authorization. Living in the realm of darkness is a dangerous thing. Verse 11. Then he said, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but now I will go and wake him up. The, di the disciples said, Lord, if he is sleeping, he will soon get better. They thought Jesus meant Lazarus was simply sleeping. But Jesus meant Lazarus had died. Verse 14, so he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. He said, Lazarus is dead, y'all. Lazarus is dead. He died. And for your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there. For now, you will really believe. Come, let's go see him. Verse 16, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let's go to and die with Jesus. Now, I know most of you guys may be thinking like, you know, those of you guys have heard the term over and over again, the doubting Thomas, right? It's like, it seems like this is just, this is typical of the character of somebody who's a doubter that would say such, such a thing as this, which is like, he's just, just, 
he's just being negative. He's, he's raining on the parade. He's being a party pooper. He like has no uh, insight of hope. But it's funny that it says that, that Thomas, known as the twin, like we have no record of who his twin was, whether he had a twin brother, twin sister. But I like to, I like to kind of think that we, from time to time as believers, are that twin to Thomas. Sometimes we're the ones that, that are, can, can be con conceived or, or considered as, as the doubter. But here's another perspective about the profession that Thomas made, because you, you kind of got to respect what it is that he's saying here. It says that Thomas nicknamed the twin, he said to his fellow disciples, let's go to and die with Jesus. Thomas spoke better than he knew when he said this. His exhortation was actually a call to the disciples to take up their cross and follow Jesus, even if it be unto the death. It sounds like doubt, but you got to respect Thomas. Thomas was, was who he was, and he stuck with Jesus through the end. He didn't end up being the Judas. He was the Thomas. He didn't end up being the Judas, the betrayer. He was the Thomas. And I think that... that there's some of us who are, who are in our walk with Christ that we, we are a Thomas through the end, and there's no fault in being that because you endure to the end. You might not be the one that always sees the silver lining in the cloud, but yet you know who the cloud is, right? You following? And here it is that Thomas, he followed Christ all the way to the end, even to the point where when you really look at the history of the disciples, you see that Thomas even ended up giving his life for the sake of the gospel. So Thomas is actually speaking better than what it is. Like the fact is like, Jesus, you know what? I can't see any good coming out of this thing, but you know what? I'm your ride or die. If, if we're we going we to go down there and die with you. If they're going to stone you, they're going to stone us all. How many of us really can have that, that heart and that kind of dedication? Verse 17. When Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in his grave for four days. Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem, and many of the people had come to console Martha and Mary in their loss. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary stayed in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said, he will rise when everyone else rises at the last day. Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live, even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Do you believe this, Martha? Yes, Lord, she told him. I have always believed you are the Messiah, the Son of, the God, Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. When we look at this conversation and this dialogue between Jesus and Martha, we see that Martha 
is displaying her faith and her trust and her confidence in Jesus. She tells Jesus that, had you, Lord, had you been here, I know my brother wouldn't have died. And Jesus tells her that your brother is going to rise again. And she says, Lord, I have faith. I know that he's going to rise again when, everyone, when you raise everyone else up. And then Jesus proceeds to tell her that I am the resurrection and the life. And he asks her, do you believe this? When Jesus had, had presented himself as water, the water of life, the bread of life, and the light of life, this is what he was doing this whole time as we've been reading through this, this book. He's presented himself as the water of life, the bread of life, and the light of life. Now he's revealing himself as the resurrection and the life. Two distinctions. It was the most powerful revelation of his true identity. It shows Jesus' authority over humankind's greatest and last enemy, death. As physical death ends life and separates people, so spiritual death is the separation of people from God and the loss of life, which is in God. Jesus has come so that people may live full lives, life more abundantly, like we read last week with Pastor J.R., John 10, 10. He's come that we might have life and life more abundantly. So what you, what you guys got to understand about this, let me give you a little bit of context and background to this. We see that Jesus gets word that his friend is gravely sick. He stays where he's at for two days and then decides that we're going to go to where he's at. We're going to go see Lazarus, knowing that he's dead. Two days pass, he knows that he's dead. So which means to me that it probably took him two days journey to get to where he was at because it says when they arrived that Lazarus had been in the grave for four days. You guys following they didn't waste any time with burial in their culture. One, because part of it was the fact that the climate over there tends to, to, uh, to accelerate uh, decomposition of bodies. So they, they went ahead and prepared the body immediately after death and put it in and, and buried it. So he's been buried for four days. Jewish belief is this. There's some evidence that the later Jewish rabbis believed that the spirit of a person who had died lingered over the corpse for three days or until decomposition of the body had begun. They believed that the spirit then abandoned the body because any hope of, of resuscitation was gone. They apparently felt that there was still hope that the person might revive during the first three days after death. Other scholars question whether this is what the Jews believed as early as this event, in either case, the fact that Jesus raised Lazarus after he had been dead for four days would have left no question that Jesus had truly raised the dead. Are you following? Because one of the things we got to understand, when you read the other Gospels, there's other accounts of Jesus raising people from the dead. Jairus' daughter, right? There's, there's, there's a little boy that he raised from the dead. So there's, there's these individuals that like died like, moments before Jesus arrived and he raises them from the dead. But here we have this exceptional moment where customarily the Jews buried a corpse the same day the person died due to the warm climate and relatively rapid rate of decay that it caused. And it's been four days 
and Jesus shows up. What we also have to understand in this dialogue is that Martha's words reaffirmed her confidence in Jesus that her loss had not shaken. Are you following that? Her words to Jesus, the fact that she believed who he said he was, that he believed, she believed that, that he could bring about resurrection, shows that the loss of her brother did not shake her faith in Christ. Are you following? When we find ourselves confronted by disease, disappointment, delay, and even death, our only encouragement is the word of God. And who is the word? Jesus. Whoever believes in Jesus will live spiritually and eternally even though he or she dies physically. Jesus imparts eternal life to those who believe in him. He is the source of life, whereas he will affect resurrection for those who believe and die physically, and he bestows eternal life, and it begins for the believer before he or she dies physically. You guys got that? When we look at Martha, we see that she had already expressed her faith in the doctrine of resurrection, but Jesus questioned Martha so she could affirm her faith in him as the one who will raise the dead and who knows now how to give eternal life. She correctly concluded that if Jesus was the one who would raise the dead and impart spiritual life, he must be the Messiah. Because that's what all the ruckus has been about. People have been questioning Jesus up to this point as to whether he's a prophet or whether he's a teacher. And here it is, we see that she says, I believe that you are the Messiah, the one who has been sent from God. Not the Messiah that, that they were looking for that would be a political leader that would liberate them from Roman oppression. Are you following? Verse 28. So it says, then she returned to Mary. She called Mary aside from the mourners and told her, the teacher is here and wants to see you. So Mary immediately went to him. Jesus had stayed outside the village at the place where Martha met him. When the people who were at the house consoling Mary saw her leave so hastily, they assumed she was going to Lazarus' grave to weep. So they followed her there. When Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. Does it seem like we're repeating a conversation here? When Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him, and he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him, he asked them. They told him, Lord, come and see. Then Jesus wept. The people who were standing nearby said, see how much he loved him? But some said, this man healed a blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? Something I want us to pause and see here. And I need you guys to lean in on this one. 
Verse 33 says, when Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him and he was deeply troubled. I personally like a better translation of this in the King James Version where it says, when Jesus therefore saw her weeping and the Jews also weeping, which came with her, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. If we can dig into this a little bit deeper, I need you guys to understand that it says that he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. He groaned in the spirit and was troubled. The Greek word when it says spirit here is referring to the Holy Spirit. The pneuma. The third person of the triune God. The Holy Spirit. Co-equal, co-eternal with the Father and the Son. Sometimes referred to in a way which emphasizes his personality and character. He groaned in the spirit. Why is this important? Because there's a, there, there are times that we come to in life where we cannot come to, to formulate words to express what we are experiencing on our inside. That we cannot express what is going on on the outside. And here it is, we have a high priest who's giving us an example of, of letting us know that when, when we're in a situation where we're at a loss for words, that sometimes there is no language but a groan. And he groaned in the spirit. Why is this significant? Why is this, why is this makes it? Because, let me, let me break it down to you, because in Romans 8, verse 26, it says, in the Holy Spirit, Helps us in our weakness. Helps us in our infirmities. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for. But the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. It goes on to say that, that, that God knows the hearts of men and Holy Spirit knows the perfect will of God. So when we don't know how to pray the perfect will of God, it is through the groanings being led by the Spirit that pray a perfect intercession unto God. Because he knows our hearts and he knows the will of God and he marries the two through our groanings. Which goes on to say, right after it tells us that Holy Spirit praise the perfect prayer that our words can never make that we know all things work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes he groaned in the spirit verse 38 Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb a cave with a stone rolled across the entrance. Mm. Roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested, Lord, he has been dead four days. 
the smell will be terrible. King James says, by now he stinketh. Jesus responded, didn't I tell you? Didn't I tell you that I'm the resurrection of life? Didn't, did, didn't I tell you that your brother will live again? So they rolled the stone away. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in grave clothes. Listen. Let me go back. When Jesus groaned in the spirit, he married the will of God to what was in his heart and that he couldn't utter. He then goes to the grave where the stone was rolled in front of. Jesus says this. He says, Father, thank you for hearing me. Thank you for hearing me. Thank you for hearing me. How many of us pray without understanding that the Father hears us? How many of us pray in a way that we just kind of toss words up at the ceiling rather than understanding and knowing that we have a Father who cares about us and hears us? He says this, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me. But I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here so that they will believe that you sent me. Jesus is our perfect illustration of what a relationship with the Father is to be. What we're supposed to know as children of God is that our Father hears us and that he always hears us. It's funny that Jesus says that and spells that out. That, Father, thank you for hearing me. And I say it out loud so that they know this. This is something that we're supposed to take away from this. This is something that we're supposed to hold on to this. And so I want you guys tonight, from, to, from now on, to understand that when you go into your prayer closet, when you go and shut the door, when you spend your time with God, that you know that he is hearing you and that he always hears you. No more going in doubting. No more going in hoping that it's going to work. No more going in like it's a crapshoot. But go in knowing that just as Jesus said, Father, I thank you for hearing me. 
and you always hear me. So they rolled the stone away, and Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in grave clothes. His face was wrapped in a headcloth. And Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. Loose that man and let him go. Listen, his prayer was a prayer of thanksgiving for what the father would do shortly. Are you getting this? It's great that you have faith and you have thanksgiving and gratefulness for what God has done so far. But you need to have the same confidence that you give thanksgiving for what he is yet to do. Listen, this prayer had the effect of focusing the attention on the son of God's agent in performing this miracle. Jesus's prayer had the effect also of drawing the onlookers into his intimate relationship with the father and proving that he really did do nothing independently of the father. When we can get our minds wrapped around the fact that we are called to sonship, that we are called to be his children, that we don't dare try and do anything independent from God. When we get our minds wrapped around the fact that apart from him, we can do nothing. It'll draw onlookers attention to him. Why? Because we won't pray amiss. amiss. We, won't, we won't pray uh, uh, like it's a crapshoot. We'll be able to pray the perfect will of God. Are you following? Amen. What else do we see here? We see that the dead heard the voice of the Son of God and lived. The dead heard the voice of the Son of God and lived. A lot of us make the mistake and we think that Jesus came to make bad men good. No, he came to make dead men live. The dead heard the voice of the Son of God and lived. Check this out. If Jesus had not specified Lazarus by name, it's possible that every dead person might have risen at his command. Think about that. Jesus probably cried out loudly to make clear that this resurrection was not an act of magic. Why? Because wizards typically muttered their incantations and spells quietly and under their breath. But Jesus, he said it out loud and publicly. Why? To give glory where glory is due. Are you guys following? To remove any doubt as to who was responsible for what had just taken place. Furthermore, such a loud command emphasized Jesus' authority. If Jesus Christ can do nothing about death, then whatever else he can do amounts to nothing. Do you hear that? If Jesus Christ can do nothing about death, then whatever else he can do amounts to nothing. And here it is. He has his greatest display, his greatest miracle, showing not only has he been the life up to this point, 
But now he's showing that I am the resurrection and the life. Verse 45. Many of the people who were with Mary believed in Jesus when they saw this happen. But some went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the leading priests and Pharisees called the high council together. What are we going to do? They asked each other. This man certainly performs many miraculous signs. If we allow him to go on like this, soon everyone will believe in him. Then the Roman army will come and destroy both our, temp both our temple and our nation. Caiaphas, who was high priest at that time, said, you don't know what you're talking about. You don't realize that it's better for you that one man should die for the people than for the whole nation to be destroyed. He did not say this on his own. As high priest at the time, he was led to prophesy that Jesus would die for the entire nation. And not only for that nation, but to bring together and unite all the children of God scattered around the world. So from that time on, the Jewish leaders begin to plot Jesus' death. As a result, Jesus stopped his public ministry among the people and left Jerusalem. He went to a place near the wilderness to the village of Ephraim and stayed there with his disciples. It was now almost time for the Jewish Passover celebration and many people from all over the country arrived in Jerusalem several days early so they could go through the purification ceremony before Passover began. They kept looking for Jesus, but as they stood around in the temple, they said to each other, what do you think? He won't come for Passover, will he? Meanwhile, the leading priests and Pharisees had publicly ordered that anyone seeing Jesus must report it immediately so they could arrest him. They issued a warrant for Jesus' arrest. After he's done the most miraculous thing that anybody could ever see. Unfortunately, this act that Jesus did proves the point that it has always been the case that those whose minds are made up to oppose what Christ stands for will not be convinced by any amount of evidence. When people have made their mind up to oppose the truth, it doesn't matter how much evidence you bring before them. They're going to oppose it. How do I know this? Because in Luke chapter 16, you see the story about the rich man and a different Lazarus who are both dead. And on the other side of the living, on the other side of eternity, the rich man is in, is in Hades. And he's crying out to see if, if there's a way that he can go back and tell and warn his family members. To warn his family members and let them know that, that you know, know that the hell is real. It's, it's for real, y'all. Like, you, they'll, they'll believe. 
And then he begs, well, we'll, we'll, we'll send Lazarus back so, so he, can, he can tell. And, and, and there's like, there's no good if someone comes back from the dead to tell them the truth. Their mind is made up. These are the takeaways I need you guys to, to, to write down tonight. The first point that I need you guys to understand is whatever you do, do it by faith. Whatever you do, do it by faith. Though Mary and Martha were at a low point in their faith, Jesus blessed them according to the height of it. Not according to the ebb, but to the flood of their faith. What do you mean? I mean, if any of you have been walking with Christ for, 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 for some amount of time, your faith has been challenged. You may be at a time where like, man, my, my, I don't have the faith of Peter to jump out of the boat and walk on the water right now. Like there, there was a time where I did and, and maybe right now at the point that you're at, maybe you got the, the faith of Thomas where it's like, you know, yeah, uh, it's, if he dies, he dies. You know what I'm saying? Like it's, it's, it's all bad, but you know, at least I'm with Jesus. But when you look at it, Mary and Martha encounter Jesus in a time where their, their faith it's kind of at a low point. They're in the midst of grieving the loss of their brother. Their, their, their first response to seeing Jesus is, Lord, if you, if you had been here, we know our brother wouldn't, wouldn't have died. We wouldn't be having this conversation right now. We already know that if you were here, you would have already prevented this from happening. We have faith in you like that. That's why we, that's why we sent a messenger out to you. Because of how serious the situation was. We know that people were plotting to kill you, but we knew that this was an urgent matter and we still sent a messenger out there because we know how much you love us and you love our brother. I think Pastor JR talked a couple, couple Sundays ago about faith with low expectations. And here it is, you have Mary and Martha. They got faith, but they got low expectations. They're, they're like, yeah, you're, he's going to live again. He'll rise again when, when everybody else rises. But they didn't realize that Jesus was there to cash in the voucher that they had, the faith that they had deposited in him, that he was there at, at his highest interest level, that he was there to cash in and make good on the faith that they deposited in him. And that's why I say to you, whatever you do, do it by faith. Doesn't matter if your faith is high or your faith is low, just make sure that you maintain and hold on to the faith as good of a grip as you can because God honors it. So he blessed them according not to the ebb of their faith, meaning the low, but he, he blessed them according to the flood of it. Next point that I need you to take away from this is that no matter how dead the situation, he is the resurrection and the life. I don't know how many of you guys got dead situations that you guys have in your life. I don't know if it's a dream, if it's a, if it's a goal. I don't know if it's your marriage. I don't know what it is. But if it's dead, even if it's dead and stinking, bring it to the resurrection and the life. 
That's his only hope. Bring it into the resurrection and the life. I mean, here it is. You see that he, he, he proclaimed before the night, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. Up until this point, we only knew that he was the bread of life, that he was, he was the living water. He was the light of life. But now he's saying that not only do I have power and am I able to give life, but I'm able to resurrect that which is dead. I'm able to resurrect that which is once all hope of man being able to help is gone, I am able to resurrect it and bring it to life. So no matter how dead the situation, he is the resurrection and the life. Lastly, what I need you guys to understand is that the Spirit will, ac will accomplish far more in our groanings than we ever could in our complaining. The Spirit will accomplish far more in our groanings than we could ever accomplish in our complaining. Why? Because we read Romans 8, chapter 26. Romans 8, 26. That when we run out of words, that it's the Spirit who maketh intercession for us on our behalf, praying the perfect will of God through groanings that cannot be uttered with human words. Through groanings that cannot be uttered with human words. I don't know if you've been in that spot, but if you haven't been there, just tuck this in your, in your front pocket because there's going to come a time where, where words cannot be found. And there will be no language but a groan. Don't be ashamed or afraid to let it out. Don't be, don't be too high and mighty to let it out. We had our high priest, our perfect high priest, who groaned. It's funny that the word that it says it, that he groaned in the spirit, that he groaned in the pneuma, the spirit. And I believe that it let us know that because, because the Greek word pneuma is, is, is the root of where we get the word pneumonia. You know how pneumonia is a deep sickness? How it has you doubled over and it's a deep sickness. It's like in your innermost parts and, and you have, it takes a long time of healing. It takes, it takes great agony and anguish for it to come out. It says that he groaned in the pneuma. He groaned in the spirit. The perfect will. Before he did his greatest miracle of bringing the dead to life. So lastly, we can accomplish far more, or the Spirit can accomplish far more in our groanings than we ever could in our complaints. Amen? I pray you guys got something out of this tonight. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. He is the resurrection and the life. Whatever it is that you're going through right now, 
It is for the glory of God, and it is for your good. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Father, for showing us how to connect with you and your perfect will, even when we are beyond words. We thank you that you have, you, you have created every way possible for us to stay in connection with you. We thank you, Jesus, for being our high priest, for being our mediator, for putting us back in right standing with the Father, for showing us the perfect illustration of sonship. Father, we thank you for committing your love toward us even while we were your enemies, for adopting us and bringing us in to a real relevant relationship with you. Lord, we ask that you would reveal yourself to us in a greater way. Continue to, to, to lead us and guide us into truth, that we're continually being made free by your truth. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for being our teacher, for being our comforter, for being our guide, for leading us, the sons and daughters of the Most High. Lord, we ask that everybody that's tuned in tonight and everybody that's in the house tonight, Lord, that you would let your presence rest upon each and every one of us. We pray a hedge of protection around each and every one of us, every home that is represented here. Lord, we ask that you would multiply peace in our homes. Let us lay down tonight with sweet rest and, and peaceful sleep. That we would wake up tomorrow energized, ready, as soldiers in your army to go out and represent you well. Father, thank you for ordering our steps. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for helping us to line up with the perfect will of the Father. Have your way in us and through us. God, be glorified in all that we do, in all that we think, in all that we say. Lord, we love you. We bless you. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. That's all the time we have for this episode of the Annex Podcast. But we encourage you to get connected with us by downloading and using our TBCF app today. Or you can visit our website at tbcf.life. That's tbcf.life. Until next time, thanks for stopping by to the Annex Podcast.